0: welcome to the short-term rental pros podcast knowledge experiences and actionable takeaways from those who are killing it with short-term rentals here's your host jeremy warden what's up guys i'm so excited today i am here with the godfather of airbnb gurus (laughs) cyan b he is out of chicago illinois and he has probably the biggest portfolio of anyone i've talked to on this podcast and he I mean, he's been doing it for a while, so I'm super excited for this conversation. You guys are going to want to stay locked and loaded because he's going to provide a ton of value to you today. Syed, thank you so much for coming.
1: Thanks for having me. I like your energy. I like your attitude with things and everything. I've been following you a little bit on Instagram, so I'm excited to be here and talking to you.
0: Awesome. So yeah, just tell me, break it down for the folk. How did you get started and where are you at today?
1: Sure. So I got started in 2017 when I purchased my first multifamily property. It was the FHA financing where I had to live in the property for a year. After the year was done, I had the unit furnished and I said, hey, maybe it's an opportunity to put it on Airbnb. So I put it on Airbnb and the first month it made double the rent. And that's when I had like an eye opening experience and the light bulb hit. And I was like, whoa, this is like crazy. And then as time went on, it ended up being like three times the rent when I started getting into my busy season. And that's when I said, hey, I need to go all in. I need to leave my corporate job and try to do this full time. So at the same time, I made the other units in my building Airbnb as well. And every single unit I put on was getting two to three times rent. So I said, hey, how do I get more? I want more units. So that's kind of when I started my company.
0: You were hooked. You caught the bug. Yep. And you started, so you started in Chicago and you have, correct me if I'm wrong, but like How many hundreds of Airbnb listings do you have to this day?
1: Yeah. So on my Instagram, I said I'm the only Airbnb guru on Instagram with 300 units. But since then, I kind of let a handful go. So last time I counted, it was 295. So I need to get five more to go back up (laughs) to be truthful on Instagram.
0: And you, I know your high season is probably about right now or July. You've done
1: million dollar months before? Yeah, so in the month of June, I had a one point one point five five million dollar revenue in June. In July is one point four. And August, we're in the middle of the month of August. Right now it's at 1.2 million dollars. I hope it ends the month at 1.4 million. So yeah, multi-million dollar months. So probably like, it,
0: close to eight eight figure years.
1: Yeah. So last year I had my first eight figure year It ended the year at ten point seven million dollars. This year it is trending. My forecast is eleven million dollars, so I'm kind of flat year over year.
0: Got it. Okay. Very very interesting. And every single one of your listings is in the same market, correct?
1: No. So I'm in a few markets and few cities, but majority of my portfolio is in the Midwest. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Midwest. So you went from you got this multifamily unit. You were like, oh shit, eye opening. Yep. These are crushing it. I need to get more. And then did you get more after that through buying or did you leverage another strategy to to start growing your portfolio?
1: Right. So I didn't have any more money to add more units at the time. So I couldn't pay another like either 20% down on another property. So I had to figure out how to get more units. So initially I started a property management company where I would take like an 80-20 split with with the owner of the property. After a handful of months, I realized that's not the model that I like. Uh, And I kind of fell in my hands, the rental arbitrage opportunity before even like the rental arbitrage model even existed is kind of when I started leasing some units from a landlord. And like the way it happened was I went to some like random networking event and it was nothing that special or big, but I was standing in a group of people and one of the people in the group said like, Hey, we're looking for people to do Airbnb in my building and like that was like the most shocking thing i heard i never hear anybody say that right so i said like you know me i love to do something like that so i got their contact information and i started reaching out to them and that's when i realized the landlord that she was working with is a pretty substantially big landlord in my market he had about a thousand long-term units at the time so i said like wow this is like a huge opportunity and I started reaching out to them to try to see if I can do Airbnb for him. At the time, I was trying to pitch him that 80-20 split. And it took me up, like, I think it took me like six months of persistence, like calls every week or email every other week. And finally, like they pushed it off and I just like walked in the office one day. And I think like the property manager at the time was like fed up with me. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll just put you in front of the boss. So I finally, after six months, was able to be in front of the decision maker and I pitched him what I was looking to do. He said, listen, I'm not looking to get in the furniture business. I'm not looking to get in the Airbnb business. I don't think we can do this model. So I'm like, okay, well, how about if I rent two units from you and pay you rent and, but allow me to do Airbnb in those two units. He said, as long as you pay rent, don't cause any issues. Like you can have these two units. So then I leased those two units, furnished it, put it on Airbnb. And then after a couple of weeks, I asked, hey, can I have like two more? And then after a couple more months, I, asked, I said, can I have five more? And then there was a time where he ended up coming to me. He's like, I have this opportunity for you to do 15 here. So quickly from two, I went up to 35 units with him.
0: Wow. So you really, so you built that relationship. And I love how a couple of things. First of all, how when you started, you weren't like, oh, I'm going to do rental arbitrage. I mean, this was before the social media folk of posting all the videos about how to do rental arbitrage. Like to you, it was just, and this is actually similar to me. When I started, I was doing co-hosting and then it was just sometimes where the landlord was like, I just want, like, just pay me each month. I don't want to deal with anything else. And I was like, sure, (laughs) why not? But to me, it wasn't even called, like, I didn't even think of it as quote unquote rental arbitrage. I thought of it as property management where I'm just like paying them monthly income versus a whole 80-20 split. So that's really interesting that to you, that's how you saw it initially. And you went deep. So you, and you, first of all, you made that in-person connection. Like you literally showed up. Like you weren't afraid to literally knock on the door and walk in and stay there until you were in front of the decision maker, which is awesome. And a lot of folk don't have the courage really to like put themselves out there. They might do a few phone calls, but ultimately when you're starting, like you really got to build a relationship and there's no better way to do that than actually getting yourself in front. And then you went deep with that landlord. So now you have, you you built 35, a 35 unit portfolio just with one, one property manager. Right. So like to your point,
1: A deal is never made unless you meet somebody in person. So a lot of people think that they could just like cold email and give a phone call to a landlord or a building owner and they can make a deal happen. But things never happen unless you go in person, look presentable, speak confidently and be able to present your idea and to make a deal happen. So the biggest thing is go out there, try to be meeting people, networking events and making a deal happen in person. But, yeah, and that's uh, all. Awesome. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. How
0: you went to a networking event again, right. and it didn't seem like you had like even a mission of like I'm going to go to this event so I get X out of it. You were just like, "Oh, there's opportunity. You need to make people. You need to meet people in order to right. accelerate your growth." Right. So, and a lot of people today have the blueprint for doing all this, and they still. But you actually, you just put yourself out there, which is really great. Right. Uh, so now you got 35 there. So how how'd you get the other? Two sixty.
1: yeah so right after i had 35 with him i ended up becoming like a player in the market where i had a reputation and i was working with somebody that everybody in the market knew about so he was well known in all the landlords in chicago because he had so many units
0: landlords talk
1: right exactly (laughs) so it was really easy not really easy but it was easier on the second landlord to be able to convince him by just simply saying like hey i'm working with xyz i'm looking to lease two units would you allow me to lease two units i have 35 units with him you could talk to him and ask how i've been doing with him and that's like the best pitch that i could even like do because i have a reputation now and they answered me and said like yeah after like some persistence as well like a couple of months later they had a motivated situation the landlord had some units available and this landlord actually even has more units than the initial landlord. So he had 5,000 units under management. So when I asked for two units, he said, yeah, go ahead. Let's try it out in two units. Now with that landlord, that the second landlord, at the moment, I have 180 units with him. So oh, my, wow. this yeah. And unfortunately, I'm not doing business with the first landlord anymore. So
0: got it. Yeah. Okay. So, and tell me, walk me through the economics. So that first yeah. 35 units you did at that same time, I mean... Yes, Yes. you're not buying, you don't got to do the down payment, but how much did that cost to furnish, damage deposit, first month's rent? What did that all look like?
1: So some of the units were studios to two bedrooms. So it would range from like $5,000 per unit to like $8,000 to $10,000 per unit. But the way I was able to get funding or scale quickly with that landlord is I always requested like two to three months free upfront. And he was motivated enough to agree with those terms. And within those two to three months, I was able to recoup the cost of the furniture to be able to reinvest it back into more furniture and to grow the business. So I'm not able to get those terms anymore. That was like when I first started my business, like the two to three months free. Right now, it's more like one month free or even less. Is that because of the
0: summer or just in in general?
1: It could be demand for long-term tenants has increased over time. Number two, it's also... I've had a lot more capital to deploy to add more units. So I'm not there like negotiating probably harder than I can be. And I'm taking the deals that sound okay to me versus like the home run Grand Slam deals. But initially when I started, I was able to convince him to give me two to three months free upfront. But there was no security deposit that I have to pay in my city. There's a lot of move-in fees, but I was able to negotiate no move-in fees on these uh, units, but I would have to pay the first month's rent. So I would have to pay the first month's rent and the furniture. But again, I would recoup those costs so quickly in two to three months to be able to redeploy it back in the business.
0: Got it. So that's what, so you, 35, let's just say 35 units, you getting right. the first two to three months free. Right. So you're putting studios to two bedrooms. Let's just assume your average, let's just say your average furnishing cost is what, $10,000?
1: Yeah, 5,000 for the studios. And then it was up to like $10,000 for two bedroom, two baths. Got
0: it. So 10 time. Gs times 35, so 350 grand. So tell right. me, how was that? Did, do you generally use cash? Do you so use business
1: credit? W- when, I, when I added those 35 units, it was not like in one shot. It was over time. Yeah. So it was over like maybe eight to 12 month period. So during that time, it was like being adding two units, four units at a time, and then five units. It was being able to take that money and be able to redeploy it back. So no, I did not have like a loan or outside funding to be able to get $350,000. It was using the capital from the business that it generated to put back into those units.
0: So you were the velocity of money. You you put in right. the money and quickly got it back and right. that allows you to scale incredibly quickly. Right. Got it. Okay, so so you you stag- you staggered the move-ins, you grew to 35 units, and after that, that was all with the same landlord, right? Right, right. And then from there, that worked, you proved it worked. And then over time with this next one, you've gotten 180. How many years has that been over? And kind of what does that growth kind of entailed?
1: Yeah, so it's not like 180, like that happened quickly. It was actually, I had only like 30, 40 units with that landlord. And then I had some other landlords. So I went through and did the same pitch to every landlord, like, hey, now I'm doing business with landlord number one, and now I'm doing business with landlord number two. So now even have a better reputation in like all of my market and a lot of the landlords know both landlords so they're like okay fine you do it with me so it was a time in 2020 where i scaled up to 180 units this is right before march of 2020 and that's right before covid hit and it was in those months of january february is when i scaled the most i ever scaled so i took on actually outside funding nice. <laughs> yeah yeah i know so For one, I'm in my slow season and I'm taking like significant losses. And then I took outside funding during that time to be able to pay for furniture. So I was taking losses using my money I gained from the previous year. I was using it for the losses that I was getting in the slow months. And then I had to get outside funding to buy more furniture to scale up during that time. Because during that time, that's when like the landlords were motivated because they don't have people coming in to lease uh, lease long-term units with them. So they were able to give me a lot of units. So I think during like those three months of December, January, February is when I scaled up like 50 units during that time. That time I had to use outside funding. And that's when I I opened up maybe like eight credit cards, like Amex and like Capital One. And I kept on asking for limit increases. And there was maybe like $200,000 from there. I got outside funding from uh, fr- friends and family to be able to get another $100,000. And I was using that to grow during that period of December, January, February, thinking that, hey, March is coming up, spring break's coming up. I'm going to be in my busy season again soon. And unfortunately, that's not like what happened, right? COVID came, hit me with a brick wall. I was taking crazy losses, cra- taking on crazy debt, crazy growth. And all of a sudden, flights have stopped and Airbnb has refunded all the guests their money and i have a 500,000 dollar rent payment with not that much money in my to my name anymore. So Yeah, so how yeah. the hell
0: did you navigate? And i this is y'all are listening, this you got to stay tuned cuz that was yeah. probably about the worst situation anyone could right. face. They they just grew, scaled right before an unparalleled, i mean, unprecedented and nobody could have imagined situation right. occurred. So how did you navigate that?
1: So at the time i had 180 units and I had about 10 landlords and the announcement for that flights have stopped, like it hit, our, it hit our industry before it hit anybody else's. And I knew what the impact was going to be because I had a lot of colleagues that said like, hey, this is going to be pretty bad. And maybe it's time to start talking to your landlords to start terminating leases. So with these 180 units, I went to the landlords, the 10 landlords, and I gave them three options. I said, one, l- allow me to pick up my furniture and leave. Term- let's terminate the lease. Number two is let's get on a revenue share and share in like whatever dollars come in because we don't know what's going on. And number three is like, I just don't pay you and you could like sue me for whatever I have. And <laughs> Sorry, that's the diff- not funny. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. yeah, now it's funny because I'm over it now, right? But yeah. at the time, it was, was uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, right, sue me. <laughs> right, <Like>. exactly. <laughs> And at the time, it was so fresh that the land, a lot of landlords were like, "No, we're not COVID charity. We're gonna go after you for everything you have. You better pay me every single dollar." So there was about three landlords, four landlords that said that. And uh, three, Chicago
0: said, "Oh, landlords, nope, don't, can't, right. you can't go after your tenants."
1: <laughs> right, but this none of this announcements happened like in like the until like the first two after the first two months, right? So yeah. I went ahead and like I was walking into people's offices and they were shocked and taken away by that because like they said in all years, I've never had somebody like just drop in my office to tell me like something so crazy and saying, hey, I can't pay you rent anymore and you have to let me leave unannounced. And but a lot of the landlords appreciated me being so like like coming to them so quickly about it and telling them like, hey, I see a problem happening. So there was three landlords, four landlords that said like, hey, we're not going to give you a break at all. You better pay every dollar. There was three landlords that said, okay, pick up your stuff and leave. And then the two landlords that I really needed for them to say like, hey, you could stay in these units and pay me a portion of the rent or let's get on revenue share. There was about two landlords that had 90 units with me at the time. And so I went from 180 units down to 90. There was maybe like 40 of them that allowed me to pick up my stuff maybe there was another like 40, 50 of them that said like, hey, you better pay me. But eventually they started realizing after a couple of weeks, like how significant and severe this is going to be to the economy. So they started giving me settlement amounts and payments and I was able to terminate the lease after giving some dollars. But I went from like that 180 to 90 and I got into this revenue share with these two major landlords and they essentially kept me in business during COVID. COVID for our industry was not as bad as it was for, say, the hotel industry. Airbnbs sounded like they were cleaner than hotels. It was less people in and out and not a revolving door of like people from all around the world coming. So Airbnb wasn't as bad as it could have been. So those two landlords ended up seeing that, like, hey, you're still bringing in a substantial amount of money. Let's keep you for some time until we figure out what's going on.
0: Got it. So... Just to like try to recap, you were at yeah. 180, you dropped to 90 and you right. sold the furniture. I mean, what'd you do? You got 90, 90 couches here. You've got, let's say one, two beds per unit. You've got 180 beds. What do you do with all that?
1: Yeah. So I had some buildings at the time and a bunch of garages and basements and I had like some family garages. So I was moving furniture all in different garages and basements and stuff. And yeah, so I had a lot of furniture during that time.
0: So it like a crap load of furniture. Right. And, is- and
1: also even during some of the, the settlements that I had with like those like 50 units, I gave up furniture for it. I'm like, okay, I'll give you this $30,000 payment and you get to keep my furniture too. So there was like different transactions, different deals for each landlord.
0: Got it. So yeah. you took a lot of the furniture, you gave away a lot of the furniture. You're down at 90. I guess, when did things and then you're getting hit with these rent payments too still so like how red did it get and then how did you how did you approach that and then how did you get it going back to the green
1: right so like i said i was able to figure out payments to those landlords to terminate so those and some landlords just let me go and then the two major landlords with 90 units allowed me to go on a revenue share so we just had to see what results came in and then i would pay the money on the back end so they essentially kept me in business and for me, so like then what happened was there was a lot of other companies that went bankrupt during COVID in our industry, one being Stay Alfred and Domio. And so for the Stay Alfred situation, they started liquidating a lot of their f So like their furniture and all the stuff in their units. So I was able to put in an offer, like a low ball offer, like $250 per unit Thinking that they will never accept anything like that. But I started getting responses back from like the liquidation attorney that, like, hey, your offer has been accepted for this building, $250 per unit. Here's 15 units. You could go ahead and pick up your stuff. And that was like another light bulb moment for me, saying, like, whoa, like, hey, they have so many buildings all over the country. How much more furniture can I buy from this like liquidation? So I kind of started going to all the different locations around the country and started buying a bunch of Stay Alfred furniture. And I bought a total of 150 apartments worth of Stay Alfred furniture.
0: So, and you already had your own furniture at this time. So what did you, and then you just started picking up units with that furniture?
1: Right. So then what happened was I had, maybe I had to get warehousing to be able to store all the Stay Alfred furniture. And mind you, like to furnish a unit, like I said earlier, it's cost about $10,000. So to be able to get it for two hundred fifty dollars And some like good high quality furniture was like a steal of a lifetime. It was once in a lifetime opportunity. So I wish I could go back and have bought more. I bought 150 apartments worth of furniture. I wish I could go back and had unlimited amount of furniture from them because I started passing up deals from them. But I did not know what I was going to be able to do with it, where I was going to store all this stuff. But at one point I had to figure out warehousing and I had about three warehouses like all over the country one in dallas one in a suburb in the midwest and i had like warehouses all over the country with a whole bunch of stay offered furniture with like the gray sofas and the green chairs if i don't know if some a lot of people know like their signature furniture so with all this furniture i went back to those two landlords that i had a relationship with that we had like a revenue share with and i said hey like do you want me to add some more Units with you guys, like if because they were struggling from a long term tenant perspective as well. So they were a little motivated, they had a lot of extra units because it affected their business as well. So I said, Hey, listen, like, would you allow me to furnish more units and let's get still on the revenue share and allow me to put this furniture in and let's take that 50 50 split again? So they started agreeing with me. And during COVID is when I kind of scaled up all over again using that stay offered furniture and not having to be committed to any lease. So it was almost like a no-brainer to add as much po- as possible. So that's well, when I went from like 90 to, again, probably added another 120 during like a one year of 2021.
0: Got it. So what the 2000, yeah, 2020, Yeah. March, April, May, like did the summer pick up? Were you getting monthly like travel nurse renters or right. who was coming at this time?
1: So initially we had to lower our daily rate to, to basically like we took the rent amount say it was like 2000 divided by 30 and that's what was our like daily rate for our airbnbs we had to do like minimum stays of like 15 and we would only like emphasize like long-term tenants that were in situations that like there was like always, always domestic issues divorces people in middle of moves the people that uh, were necessary to work during that time, like the high risk like uh, situations that people needed to come in for, so there was some demand, obviously a lot less than what it was before, because all the leisure and business was gone, but there was some demand still so and it, it ended up being okay it brought in some dollars, and the landlords were okay with it at the time versus having like zero dollars so like I said earlier, the demand didn't affect airbnb as much as hotels because so because people hey, have that yeah, kitchen yeah
0: and especially that extended stay right and i know i was ta- i think i was talking to like mike chang at the time had who right. our colleague had some units in new york and he said that doctors you know who right. didn't want to like bring covid back to their families right they would rent essentially they would just convert their short terms to long terms for these right. doctors so they could have them as like a environment away from their family to come home from after doing the, the shift, the COVID wing shift or whatever. So, right. so you saw stuff like that. You saw travel nurses. You kind of saw a different type of
1: demand, and largely being that medium term travel. Right, and that was only for two months, and that's when like people realized like COVID was bad, but not like the worst <laughs> thing in the world, right? So. By the summertime, it ended up being like pretty good. It ended up having some like good leisure demand. It was always based on like the certain wave that was coming on with how many COVID cases there was and what was going on in the world. Like there was the variants and all that. So there was a lot of waves. But luckily that summer, there was no waves. COVID cases were down at the time and people were starting traveling again. And that summer ended up being pretty good. And again, that made like the landlords happy that I was getting very close to paying them the full market rent at that time. And that's why they kept on giving me more units. But this time I didn't have any upfront costs because I already purchased the furniture on pennies on the dollar. So I was able to scale up pretty quickly again.
0: And two years later, three years later, has that Stay Alfred furniture held its, held
1: its was it quality? So it's good and bad. One, it was very heavy. Like those sofas that we had were about like 600 pounds. And we have a lot of units that are not in like elevator buildings. So the workers that had to bring it up a couple flights of stairs, like complained a lot. I'm over that furniture. I think it's really ugly. I can't take the green chairs anymore, but it has helped me scale pretty significantly. And since then, I've been happy with it.
0: Got it. So it served its purpose. So you went right. back, so you went 180 to 90, added another 130. And then when did kind of like things shift back to normal for you, where it was no longer this 50-50, but you just started paying, started getting into long-term rent agree or long-term lease agreements. Yeah. And yeah, kind of walk me through that kind of like post COVID, like snap back to normal. What that looked like.
1: Right. It was February of 2021 with then the landlords came back to me and said like, Hey, we can't do this like revenue share thing anymore because it was a slow winter during that time. And I was paying far less than market rent. And they're like, listen, if you cannot pay the rent going forward, then you have to pick up your stuff. And that's when it was like March where I had to start paying like full rent again. And the demand was pretty strong in my market. So what had happened was COVID ended up cutting the supply in half. And at the same time, we had some regulation changes. So it ended up being like the barrier to entry to add units in my city it was very difficult for people. So with the supply decrease and the demand coming back to like pretty good in my market and ended up being a record year in 2021 for me. Got it. So things blew back. You started entering into
0: long-term lease agreements. What'd you say? Hey, oh, can I get two months free up no, front? It was
1: just straight up start paying rent again. Paying rent. It was with the same landlords I already had a relationship with. So they gave me like almost a break during COVID to not have to even back pay what I had to, the shortage that I gave them during that time. So they're like, just pay rent going forward and we'll be okay.
0: Beautiful. Okay. So things were really good in 2021. Supply was low. Right. Did supply start picking up once things were kind of getting back to normal? Did folks start trying to come in and take on some new units? And then so, yeah, I guess, what have you seen 21 to 20, 2021 to 2023? What's that looked like?
1: Right. So for me, 2021 was my record year. And that was driven by the low supply. The demand was probably flat from the pre from 2019, but because of like the low supply, my my rates were like more than I ever had. In 2022, the demand increased because that's when like the mask mandates were removed. Every a lot of things were back to normal, but also at the same time, supply did increase. But supply didn't match 2019 levels because of the regulation changes. So that was helpful, again, to me in my business. And 2022 was a great year as well, but not as good as 2021 for me. But what had happened in 2022 is because of the pent-up demand in the summer, my winter was significantly worse than I ever could have managed, ever could have imagined. There was like a fatigue of travel in my markets where people all came during the summertime and they didn't need to come anymore. So... I had a record summer, but a record loss of in my winter. So my cash flow was like crazy during this time.
0: Yeah, and I think I and I respect. I mean, I think you've got a lot of. I'm trying to think of the word that isn't. I was gonna say maybe I'll say cojones. <laughs> got some grande cojones right. for being able to run such a cyclical business. I mean, I think one thing obviously you probably do a really good job of is cash flow management right. and just knowing your highs are your. Because I think a lot of people they get into this game, and maybe they start, whether it's by chance, or by luck, or they heard online, oh, let's they get their property, and they start running in June, July, August, and it does incredibly well. Right. And they start getting some cash in their pocket, they start to see their savings or their checkings account go up. And then what's the most human reaction to do? Spend get rid it. of it, <laughs> spend it. Yeah. We are especially Americans, we're very consumptuous. Right. But it's seasonality. I mean, generally it follows the bell curve and especially in a Midwest market that probably has harsher winters than most other parts of the world or parts of the country. I guess how do you do your cash management or plan just knowing that you gotta like literally survive the winter? The winters can be
1: really rough. Right. It's it, it takes a toll on you. Like I haven't completely figured it out. And sometimes I get really ambitious during the summer times and I start growing more units, but that, that dollars that I should be saving in my reserves as I'm using for growth. So I do get into situations every winter where one, I'm deferring some rents, like five days to get extra income. I'm turning off the auto payments for all my softwares and utilities. I'm putting a lot of things on credit cards all over again. Knowing just get me through the winter and I'll cut, figure it out in the summer again. But there is some thought behind it too. Like I have cash flow forecasts that I kind of have an idea of what I'm working with. But it's like I did not expect how bad this last winter was going to be. So there was a time where the money proceeds I was making last year in 2022, I wanted to purchase four more properties, four more buildings. I had a million dollars of cash that I wanted to deploy out. And during that time, like interest rates started increasing and prices for buildings started increasing. So I I said like, Hey, I started timing the market. Maybe it's not the best time to buy, but that was probably the best thing for me is because if I did end up buying, I would have to liquidate all those assets during my slow season to be able to cover for my losses. That's how bad my losses were during my winter time. So it all worked out last year. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what's going on this year because 2022 was a record demand year. And That was a pent up COVID demand and 2023, my ref ref par or my demand and my revenue per unit level is down 20%. So I'm kind of trying to figure out like, what's the cash flow situation that I'm going to need during this next winter time? Is it going to be as bad as it was last year or has things streamlined and stabilized better? So this is kind of what I'm figuring out, but that's keeping me from not taking on any other big investments at the moment.
0: Got it. So you're kind of a stockpiling cash, so to speak right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know what's going to happen this winter. Like, is it really going to be as bad as last year or is it going to be back to a little normalcy?
0: Has supply in your market picked up in the last year?
1: It's been picking up slowly. But again, those regulations are causing it to not like double, triple. Like, I've seen some other markets that have added a huge supply, like a lot of the southern markets in the United States, like Texas markets and Phoenix and Miami markets. Like, there's like supply issues there's a lot of supply being added. Fortunately, I don't have that issue, but I have a demand decreasing issue in my market.
0: Yeah. And that's something I always want to say is like, and I even the risks of arbitrage and especially kind of doing the smaller apartments is in many ways, like someone can go into a building, let's call it Houston, Texas, Houston, Texas, during the demand boom of 2021 folks started getting crushed because there's so many buildings and so little regulation and again it's someone can come in and literally launch 100 apartments in one building in one neighborhood and next thing maybe you've built a business over like four to five years that's a pretty strong business you have 60 apartments and then someone just launches 100 next door that's kind of a risk so it really is good to kind of be places where supply is constrained like especially for like these huge volume businesses where, I mean, I personally, and I just admit, I don't have as big of a cojones as you probably have, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but like, I try to stay on like to properties that are generally speaking, like bigger four bedroom homes that have right. something like unique about them, where it would be really hard to like recreate that supply. Maybe someone can add one or two of them, but like no one's about to come into to my markets and add like 10 of them. at a given time and for me it's like i feel comfortable with that but if i was doing like the 100 200 really super high unit count like you want regulations right i mean regulations like are extremely helpful
1: yeah like i would never want to go in a market that has that does not have regulations they have to have regulations for me or else it'll just be that next market that there's going to be a huge increase of supply, where everyone rushes to. It's like the ones that you'll see in like the media and AirDNA. These are the top ten best markets to do Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. for that for the previous year it was, but now next year, now that everybody knows, it's not going to be the best at all. And that's kind of what happened during COVID time is people started rushing to Arizona and Dallas and stuff because everything was open. There was people wanted to travel there because there was so many restrictions to go out in other cities. So. There was a lot of demand going on over there. And at the same time, they have so much product there and people started asking for more Airbnbs. And yeah, it was good during that time. But I'm hearing stories that people are really struggling in those markets now. So uh,
0: yeah, I think the main one is uh, I was doing research on was like Austin, Texas, because Austin, Texas, absolutely boom during COVID fun place wear your cowboy hat downtown tons of bars wide open. And then this summer got hit with 100 degree, 100 whatever, 110 degrees on average for an entire month. Summer's supposed to be the best time of the year. No one's coming to town because you've got this heat wave. Right. And if that's what your summer's looking like, then chances are your winter's not looking too good either. But it's just an example of one of those places where like you really just got to watch demand. The supply and demand is ultimately what it comes down to. And like especially in the game of like corporate, like corporate leases master leases where it's really like you can come in and do 30 no one's going right. to stop you and you already have the furniture for it so all you got to do is get a couple u-hauls and bang <laughs> right. a week later you got your photos up Everything's is locked and loaded
1: yeah so i hear a lot of my colleagues that are they're struggling in the austin market and they're letting go a lot of units over there so you just got to be careful where you're adding your units
0: Yeah. Granted they've probably already made two X their ran, three X or two X their initial whatever. They've been paid back at this point. Right.
1: They've made good on it. But yeah, but my thing is like a lot of people can make fast money and quickly. And I respect when somebody can be in business for a long time. And that's what I want to be able to do. I don't want to have that like one, two years of like a market and then have to pick on myself and leave. I want to be in a market and stick to it for the next three, five, 10 years. That's the kind of business I respect.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why, I mean, you've, in many cases, like you've taken over your markets, like you are the big player there. And when you have that scale, when you have scale in a specific market, like early on, when I started, I was kind of like a little bit of, oh, I need to diversify and like be in all these different places. And that was like my mindset, especially because seasonality, I was like, my winters suck. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna get started in Florida now. Like I need to have my January's and February. I need my bank account to be going up from somewhere. (laughs) I can't have it. But that being said, like if you're in so many different places, like it's harder, it's more difficult for you to like respond to situations. So like for you, you again you faced like about probably the toughest situation you could possibly face. But then you just got in your you got in your, I don't know if you were driving the Lambos or the Ferraris (laughs) at this time. But you got in your Lambo and you drove down to the office and you figured it out.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. A lot of people want to be able to stabilize the cash flows and go to all these different markets. But for me, as long as you can manage the cash flows on paper, where you have a nice Google spreadsheet to be able to forecast what's going to happen, you could keep the reserves there and you can manage it properly. And you don't need to like bounce from market to market. My opinion is, Go to your backyard and become an expert in your backyard and scale as big as possible there. You don't have to go to Philadelphia, Florida, Texas, and be in like five different markets. And to have like a stable business, you could do a real substantial business in your own backyard.
0: Beautiful. I know. And this is something I want to touch on. And I know you've like helped out a lot of folk who, you know, at this point have 100, 200, whatever units. What in the hell do the operations look like? I mean, I've. Pulling seven figures, like to me, I'm like, damn, like things can be obviously streamlined better. But when you're dealing with add another figure on top of that, what's your operations look like? I mean, it must be absolutely insane.
1: Yes and no. So I do have 100 resources in my business, so 100 employees, 50% of them are in the Philippines. So I run my entire business out of the Philippines, and people call them virtual assistants, but I call them my team members. They are essential part of my, my, my business. I have managers, directors, leadership. I have everything. Like I have a hierarchy, like a corporate hierarchy in Philippines. My, my team in Philippines, their salary is ranging from like $5 to $15 per hour. Oh, and- 15 bucks yeah. an hour yep. for someone
0: in the Philippines? Wow. Yeah.
1: Because the people that are getting paid $15 an hour are really high level. They run my finance and accounting and my books. They also run my pricing and my revenue management they're running my operations. You built have, your
0: own internal pricing management?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So so because I started early in 2017, this was before any of the revenue management companies were e- even existed in our industry and I saw the value of how important pricing is and at the time I built an in-house but it was me doing it and it was like too much work for me and eventually I started finding out that there's companies that are getting started up in revenue management and I tried them out and I gave them a sample size of like take these 15 units, take these 20 units, and then let's compare it to what I could perform. And I was ending up beating like the other third-party companies in my revenue management. So I ended up building it out in-house. And I have to say now I think I have a better process or hand on my business from a pricing perspective than, even like the largest of companies right now or any of the revenue management companies.
0: And you probably Um, know, you just know your market better than anybody else. Like, you know how much you can raise things for the big events where, you know, where they're not going to really know, like they don't have the data that you have. So again, that's also one of the scale benefits of knowing your market and being the kingpin there.
1: Right. And also like I have some high level people creating some like really nice dashboards for me. So I know my performance on a daily basis. We use like Tableau. And I'm getting updates and nice graphs like every day on how we're doing from an ADR perspective, our REVPAR occupancy per unit in per neighborhood, per bedroom size, and how we're doing from a pacing perspective, lead time. I have these like data points and then we do compare it to like what we see in. Like data sites like AirDNA and Wheelhouse and Price Labs, we use their mar- market data and we compare it to ours. We also built in some hotel data to see like how hotel data market demand is doing. So. Uh, yep. we are pretty sophisticated. <laughs> I want to say this, put yeah, a masterclass on, on this. This is what, I want, oh what yeah. I want. We're really sophisticated. I even say, I have told like my colleagues that like I believe like my dashboards and my pricing is as sophisticated as like the public company Sonder. Like I think I do it better than them even. So I'm really proud of where we built out our revenue management team. But back to your question, how my team is set up is 100 employees, 50 of them being in the Philippines, and then the other 50 in my local markets over here but the ones that are over here are mainly cleaners, runners, maintenance people and one general manager overseeing what's going on in like the markets so more of my high level people are in the Philippines but more of my labor is in my local markets
0: got it and what would you say you're cuz i do have like 3 apartments in my portfolio again like i predominantly my buy, my quote unquote, like buy box or rent box or whatever is generally like a bigger house, which is a bigger investment, but pros and cons of everything. My apartment is like, you want to run them like super high occupancy. If they're not rented, you drop the price like super low. Like I'm assuming like you've got, I mean, if there's hundreds of apartments, you, the amount of turnovers you probably have on a given day are the hundred, yeah. hundred apartment turnovers, meaning a turnover is when a guest leaves and then another guest comes in. Yeah. Like how much, like how much volume, like you're probably, I mean, you're probably doing tens of thousands of guests a year. Like what, give us yeah. some of the cool numbers you got.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, on a Sunday or Monday, it's about a hundred checkouts that I have per day on those times. So we have like our 30 cleaners running around the city cleaning as much as possible. And we stagger it based off like what check-ins we're having coming in like the next day uh, on a weekly basis. I think I saw a stat recently it was around like 500 checkouts in a week. So like 2000 checkouts in a month is kind of what we're doing. So it's a lot of cleaners cleaning these units. So it's a lot going on. But yeah, like you said, like 10,000 people probably is a good number that's probably coming in on an annual basis.
0: Yeah, and then probably, I mean, 100, maybe 100,000 a year, which is just absolutely yeah. like- I should
1: get some data on that and I'll get back to you guys on and see like a round estimate. But for me, like you brought up, like you try to get like, like the most occupancy by lowering the price. So in my urban markets, majority of my dollars come from the weekends and yeah. I'm having like 80% occupancy on the weekends and then maybe like 40, 50 on the weekdays. So that's kind of how my pricing strategy is. So I increase and it could be driven by how I do my pricing strategy, because if I didn't have the weekends so expensive, then maybe they would take longer bookings. But we found out our ref par is best by this strategy that we have. So we get majority of our dollars coming on the weekends. And then a lot of our Tuesdays and Wednesdays are struggling. And most of my cleans and bookings are coming in on the weekends.
0: And,
1: And like, yeah. And like for me is my units, I try to emphasize on smaller units. I know you mentioned that you are in bigger units, which is a good business model for me because of my volume. I'm not able to control the people coming in those bigger units and they're more susceptible to like parties or large gatherings, Mm -hmm. complaints from neighbors. So in my model, it works out best when my units are smaller and I have less risk of bad things happening. And then also like I'm lowering the price on a big unit, you could end up getting some like shady people during the week. So that's kind of where my model is. And I'm probably leaving dollars on the table, but that's okay. Cause I'll be able to scale my business better. If I'm able to control the people coming in and out.
0: You have a very standardized process, I would say. And also, I mean, your units, you probably don't have like backyards for them or anything. No. Cause like, I mean, that's something that you deal with a house is a backyard. You deal right. with Maybe there's 15 guests staying there, which isn't an issue if they're inside the damn house. (laughs) But when they go outside, that's when that's when you cause problems. But you don't have them. I mean, the issues you deal with are the elevators, right? Like folk in the elevators, folk going through the front door of the building, parking, like it's its own it's its own layer of like, there's pros and cons to everything. But when you're you do that one thing, you figure it out. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have noise monitor. Do you have noise monitoring devices in every single apartment where you're able to, you have your team is able to see at any given time if anyone's being too loud or whatnot?
1: Yeah. So I use like the minute devices and I have them in maybe 250 of my units. We're trying to do our best to get them into all units. We were kind of late in the game to get those in our units. So we're trying to figure out how to get them now after having so many units and it's a challenge in itself to like wait for checkouts to get somebody out there to install them and then yeah. manage it. So it's like a work in process that we're figuring it out. But yeah, those minute devices are really helpful because one, we get complaints from the landlord saying neighbors complain to them about us having noise issues. So it's nice to have like the data behind like, okay, when was a noise issue on this day? At what time? Well, according to the data, they went up to this decibel and not above and beyond that. So one, your tenant is not credible for what they complained about and number two is like we're keeping our place in the control like it sounds better to the landlord so i really appreciate those devices they've been really helpful to me
0: and you got every front door you got a ring do you have a ring doorbell camera no
1: Uh, no, unfortunately i don't again i added these units before like that idea came i wish i could have it but not so a lot of my units are not in like luxury a-class buildings like i made my business within like this b-class type building so like a lot of older buildings so like the functionality to be able to get wiring and to be able to keep those like on all the time and it kind of doesn't make sense because they're like walk-up apartments and and it's i would have to have multiple cameras and like the landlord might not be okay with it the tenants don't like it so some of them i do and i'm it would be ideal to have them in all But right at the moment, I've been able to control it more on the screening side versus, like, after the fact and, like, after they're coming into the unit to see, like, who's coming in. If you do a lot of your work on the front end, you don't have to worry about seeing cameras of people walking in or not. But, yeah, that would be a nice feature to have in all units.
0: So, what? yeah, tell us. So, what is that TLDR on the front end? How do you that guess?
1: Yeah, so I think – so, my team in the Philippines, I have maybe about seven resources – screening guests on a daily basis and what they're doing is one they're first starting the communication with the guests like hey what's your reason for your stay why are you coming who are you coming with and we kind of get a gist of like even how they communicate to us like how are they writing their sentences like we ask the first and last names for some yeah. of the guests and like the the age too and we do a little work on the back end to start searching some of these people up we kind of find if they have a linkedin like that's like a perfect like hey you're a professional i would love to have you on my we find some people's facebook and instagrams and we kind of see like the quality of people that are coming if they have reviews it's even better like it's easier to be able to accepting i also kind of get a feeling of like hey is this in my a class building or my b class building can it take like some risk to it and also it's like if it's like a studio unit like I'm okay, like having these two people in. So, it's a lot of screening on the back end that we spend a lot of time and a lot of people. We are using also some like screening softwares. So the two big guys are like AutoHost and we were using like Guest Ranger, I think is the name of the company. They were cheaper than AutoHost for us, so we were using them as like a selfie and ID verification. We kind of built our own backend to do the exact same thing because we felt like we didn't need to have their like like background check anymore because we were looking up their social media anyway so we kind of have our own like a portal for some a guest to come in and upload their id and take a selfie to make sure that they match and we only use that for like certain guests like high higher risk guests or different platforms airbnb we don't do it I'm only mainly vrbo and booking.com is where we use that software Got it. so you that.
0: are multi-channel because i know some of your yeah. some of your i don't want to trying to think of the word but like some yeah. of your Like if you're a pro, I'm not, if you're a prophet, like your followers, what are they called? Like your deci, deci, uh, deci, I don't know. Deciples? Disciples. Disciples. Disciples, Yeah. Disciples. Damn. What is wrong with (laughs) me? I got to get, honey, can you get me some coffee? Yeah. I need some too, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know some of your disciples, they're just Airbnb. They rely on air cover and they kind of, that's, and then they just get like general uh, renter's insurance policy. So I think it's interesting. Or maybe I'm mistaken, but that's what I thought. Yes. Yeah, so, so,
1: so some of my colleagues, I think I know who you're referring to. Yeah, they're just on Airbnb, and they run their business that way, and I'm sure it's a good way. But for me, is I always started from the beginning where I had it on other platforms as well. So that's kind of what I know, and I just assume that, like, hey, if I'm on more channels, more visibility, oh, uh, sure. I could get better bookings, better occupancy. So I am on Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, Expedia, And we had at one point working with like Marriott to come into our mix, but they were too complex with like the softwares and we're like, we don't want to take this initiative on right now. But majority of my business does come from Airbnb, like 85% of my business does come from Airbnb. And I would love to have it where it's on other platforms. And we kind of try to work with those platforms to be able to grow on them. And just whatever the market is saying, they like Airbnb to book our places and it is what it is.
0: Got it. Okay. Wow. So 85% of your yep. traffic, even being multi-channel, 85% yep. of your traffic is still Airbnb, which for me is actually less because again, it's kind of like the houses versus apartments right. thing and old folk, which is kind of like my guest avatar or whatever. Like I love grannies. The right. grannies use, they use Verbo for whatever reason, Right. Uh, even though... I mean, I don't know why they do because Airbnb sides with the guests on every little thing. So, whereas Burbo <laughs> is like, all right, you want to hold their deposit? Here you go. Hold their okay. deposit. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> sure thing. I digress. So yeah, we're about about to hit an hour here and I, I just want to touch on. So you've obviously have a crap load of like knowledge and then just like, what are some of the tangible tips for folk mm-hmm. like starting out or even like folk like myself who aren't up to eight figures a year? Like what, what would, what do you recommend?
1: So one is like go on the knowledge side and watch videos. There's a lot of people on YouTube that are giving like free content and giving tips how to get started. There's a lot of good Facebook groups that everyone talks about the different problems and things that are going on. You could go the accelerated route and hire a coach or a mentor or a course, which I also recommend doing. I didn't go that route because there was no such thing when I started, but obviously if I learn from somebody else, it probably kind of saved me from a lot of time and a lot of effort for me to figure it out. And a lot of money I spent on making mistakes. So I think those are good options to get started. But also just like taking action is huge. And a lot of people get into the analysis paralysis side and just learn and never take a step in making it happen. So I think being able to take on a unit somehow, some way, whether it's lease arbitrage, whether you're doing it in one of your extra rooms or you're doing it from a family member or a friend, just take action and get involved in the business. Just don't sit on the sidelines.
0: Got it. I think something I like from earlier is literally get up and go to networking meetups, Right. walk in. If you want to do the corporate arbitrage route and walk into the building, start talking to them because they're right. They've probably gotten the phone call before, but they probably have not gotten someone who literally just walks in there.
1: Right.
0: Focus on relationship building. focus. I mean, focus on long-term relationship building because it seems like for you, a lot of the landlords that you had early on, you're still working with, rolling with several years later. And they've helped you weather storms and they've helped you. I mean, at this point, how many landlords do you interface with? Which I think one thing that's cool about having so many units with so many landlords is like, I'm sure the landlords call you, like they still got your number. I mean, you can you can outsource so many things, but at least in my experience, like the one thing you can't really outsource is a homeowner or a landlord like wanting to talk about something and wanting to talk to you about something. So I actually would like right. to hear your opinion on that.
1: Yeah. So everything is based off your reputation and relationship that you have with the landlords. With my landlord that I have maybe like 60, 70% of my business with, We like talking to each other. We like hanging out with each other. We like going to coffee with each other. I got him into pickleball, and we started to play pickleball together. He's an older gentleman, but he doesn't hoop. No no basketball. Back in the day, I'm sure he did. And I do enjoy talking to him. Like when I was in Miami for a conference, he has places in Miami, so it was like, oh, you're there. Let's hang out and let's go coffee. And I just like seeing him in action he's a very wealthy guy so i like hearing like even him getting on the phone call and talking to other people for business but so like i do spend time on like the business development side and relationship side like every new unit comes through me from me getting a phone call from a landlord i'm already working with or me reaching out to a landlord that i already have a relationship with so that's like one of my biggest things that i'm involved in that i'm not able to outsource to anybody else like the relationship i have with my landlords and new growth is kind of what I'm involved in. But mostly everything else in my business is somebody else's handling. I do have my like weekly leadership meetings, like an hour and a half every week. It's called my L10 meeting. I use this system called EOS from this book called Traction. So that kind of changed my entire business. But, so, but in that meeting, it's like a week's full of decisions like happen in that meeting. And it's like, I have to be like focused and making those decisions. So it takes a a toll on me. And I'm thinking about like, what, how I'm going to handle the situation throughout the week, but the decision is made during that meeting. So that's kind of how my like day and my week goes. It's not a lot of work, but it's a lot of like stress.
0: You're making decisions. Ultimately, you're the decision maker. You're responsible for a hundred folk. And that is something like, honestly, I feel like people don't think about. And like I admittedly, when I started my own business, you don't really think of like the gravity of like having people's like livelihoods on oh, your yeah. hand. And it's in a good and bad way. Like right. for instance, my, my first crew that I had on a local lake, like they just got their first vacation where their beachfront ever. Normally they have they pay to like stay off the beach, but summer was good this year. They, they were thankful that they've made enough money where they can get a nice ass waterfront property And that's like, there's moments, there's moments like those where you're like, oh, damn, like you're providing for people. Like you're actually helping them in their life, but then at the same time, you're decision-maker where Mm -hmm. these people's lives, it goes both ways, but just like anything. Awesome. So sounds great. Yeah. I guess, how can folk, how can they follow you? I mean, I see you're posting a lot on social now, and I think you're very transparent. And I love that personally, because obviously a little bit less of that sometimes online. (laughs) So where can folk, where can folk find you?
1: Yeah, so I think I could transition into like what I'm doing now. Like The past three months, I started posting a lot on social media because I'm trying to build my personal brand. I've been behind the scenes for a lot of years and ch- just putting my head down and working and scaling my business. But I see the value of creating a personal brand, and I want to eventually get into coaching and mentoring and even in the course business. So I started posting three months ago on my Instagram, Syed B., Follow me there. I'm posting a lot of good stories on like things I've experienced. And yeah, I like the fact that I am putting out some content that not a lot of the other people on Instagram are posting. Uh, A lot of people are posting a lot of the cookie cutter stuff that you hear the same regurgitated information from each person to the next. So yeah, I'm looking to provide a new approach and some other value. And hopefully you guys would appreciate the content that I put out.
0: Yeah, guys, give Saya to follow. He's yeah, he's definitely not, from what I've seen, not your standard guru. He is the OG <laughs> godfather. He is the prophet to many of the disciples that you guys might see online. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming today. And uh, yeah, so excited to, to follow your journey.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, hope you all enjoyed. Stay tuned for next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Short-Term Rental Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, leave us a five-star rating, like, comment, and share this with someone you know that wants to invest in short-term
1: rentals.